Welcome to the Strength Coach Experience Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lego. Your host. And here we and here we go, go, go. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the Strength Coach Experience, episode 40. Uh, very thankful to be at episode 40. Uh, kind of crazy. Uh, today, I want to welcome a very special guest, uh, Vic Black. Uh, Vic Black is uh, teaches pitching mechanics. And also, I had the pleasure of working with Vic when I was with the Mets uh, during his big league career, and he was just awesome. You know, we got to hang out a lot, spend some time together. And then through the podcast, we kind of got reintroduced. So happy to have him on today, share some insight, and just get to know his background. Vic, I'm, I'm so pumped to have you on here, man. I miss you, and happy you ever get to talk to you again. Yeah, Joe, man, this is a pleasure and certainly something that came out of the woodworks that was really exciting. And, man, it's just great to catch back up. Yeah, man, exactly. I love catching back up and it's always nice to see everybody grows, you know, but everybody kind of keeps their own own special personality too along the way. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so why don't we just, you know, we'll start off with everybody with your background kind of growing up and then how you got involved into baseball and then we'll kind of segue off of that as we get going. Yeah, the shortest way for me to get to where we are now would be um, grew up, had three sisters, so I lived around volleyball. Uh, still do married a woman that played and coaches. So I thought I'd get away with it, uh, get away from it. But volleyball drove me to staying home on the weekends. Cause I'd been to too many tournaments <laughs> and just, it's, it's absolute chaos, noise, whistles, girls screaming everywhere. So, uh, one weekend I was hanging out and had a buddy of mine and he's like, Hey Vic, what are you doing this summer? Like, I don't know. Probably going fishing. Like that's what I do every summer. Why not? <laughs> he goes, we're going to play baseball. You want to play with us? And I thought, uh, no, not really. Um, but long story short, ended up joining that baseball team because I wanted to hang out with my buddies. So baseball was more or less just a time for me to get to hang out with my friends. At least that's where it began. Um, and then junior year of high school, uh, decided that baseball was something I wanted to do. And I remember in a physics class, one of my lab partners was asking me, Hey, have you started applying to colleges yet? Nope. Why not? Like, you probably ought to start applying to college. I'm going to play baseball. <laughs> and it's just like the chuckle. I mean, being from Amarillo, a smaller town, um, it not being a frequent thing of hearing about somebody playing professionally, maybe college, maybe, and junior college at that, not many bigger schools. It was kind of like, oh, uh, yeah, cool. Pie in the sky. We all want to do that. But what are you going to do after high school? So I kind of took that personally, that that probably drove the next five to six years worth of pursuit for a career in baseball. Um, got a chance to go to Dallas Baptist. Very fortunate to get to play for wonderful people there that I still keep in touch with. Uh, we were actually able to snake their pitching coach to become our new pitching coordinator. Uh, really awesome dude. So it's, that was a great experience. Um, coming into college, I had primarily caught. So the transition to pitching was a little later in life. Uh, and oftentimes you'll hear, well, you know, he has, his arm doesn't have as many miles on it yet. Yeah, exactly. Well, I didn't know what I was doing, so I don't think it really mattered at the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but got a chance at a school that was 
starting out in their D1 career. And so there wasn't a lot of people behind me if I struggled. So I had to learn how to work through things. I had to learn how to get out of innings. I had to go back out the next weekend, even if I got beat the weekend before, instead of oftentimes at the bigger schools, if a guy struggles a couple weekends in a row, you won't see him again the rest of the spring because they have so many really talented arms. Um, so that was a blessing in disguise. Come junior year, got drafted by the Pirates, um, spent from 2009 to 2011, basically hurt, uh, which is sort of my understory to where I am now, but got healthy from that, had three, four pretty healthy years, uh, including the couple with the Mets. Um, certainly at the end of 15, it was when we met or the beginning of 15, really. I was having a rehab stint, but stuff just never really clicked right again. Um, was fortunate enough to play with some really good teams, really good players. I mean, probably going to be one of the best when it's all said and done. If he stays healthy, got to play with the Grom. I mean, I, like it's just those types of things. Like I look back and I see as more value than just the playing part. Um, but yeah, got out of baseball, realized that that's what I know. And there's nothing else I want to do. And so it sent me on a journey to figuring out why it was I was hurt for basically half my career and how to fix that and how to help others avoid it. So that's the story in a nutshell. Awesome story and and appreciate you sharing. And yeah, DeGrom is just, I don't even know. He's on a whole, he like hovers above the mound. And I mean, I I talk, some people, you know, ask me about him. I'm like, he was this skinny guy with long hair that used to just walk into the, you know, the clubhouse. He didn't work out or anything, right? He never really spoke to people. He's just real, he was like a cool person. And then he just ended up in the big leagues. And then now he's like, I'm like, I, he's, he's kind of like, He's his own person. He, I'm like, how is he? I'm like, he's just chill. I don't know. He's not like, even on game days, not like pacing around. He's just smiling on his face, you know, kind of hanging out. So I think yeah. it's always crazy to, with the backstories of him. I'm like, he's just a normal dude. You know, he just has mastered the art of pitching. Yeah. Mastered is probably something not even worthy of what he's, it, it's, it's been incredible, man. It, it really is a phenomenal thing. Yeah, I mean, it's been crazy. I think it's interesting, too. I want to bring up the point you touched on going to a smaller school, right? Of course, Dallas Baptist is kind of, you know, they're moving up there now. They're somewhat of a powerhouse. Um, But I think it's interesting. Everybody always wants to go to those big schools, right? They're hunting for the Clemsons and the LSUs. But one of the things that they don't realize is something that really happened for you is that if you struggle at a small school, you're going to get another chance to come back out there and go back out there continuously, right? Because you know that there's not that talent or, or, you know, there's confidence in you, right? I don't know if it's a hundred percent that the coach has the confidence or there's nobody else in there, but regardless, you get those second and third times to learn how to kind of overcome adversity and, you know, get through things and you allow yourself to learn, right? And as you know, on the mound, there's really nobody that can help you once you're out there. So it helps with a lot of mental toughness. And I always bring that point. Everybody's, oh, I want to go to LSU and Clemson. I'm like, yeah, but if you struggle for a weekend, you may never come out of the dugout again, right? I always related to same thing with strength and conditioning. Yes, bigger schools with strength and conditioning is, is great. However, when you're at a small school, you can go see the strength coach on your own, right? You can have those one-on-one times and those people, you know, much like you with your coaches can help you a lot more because that pressure is not there, but that overwhelming number of, you know, athletic people, you look at LSU, if you have a kid hitting 350 and he goes on the bench, somebody's running out, you know, right after him, that has the potential to do the same or better. 
Yeah, 100%. And like you said, it's either they trust you and they want to see you grow or there's no other option. And I don't know what my scenario really was. Um, but it gave me the opportunities and what I understand more now about skill acquisition that there were environments that I was put in where I got myself into bases loaded jams all the flipping time. Like it just was like, well, I'm going to have two or three of these a game. Like I better figure out what to do and not give up runs. And then come my time in professional baseball, like as a late inning reliever, closer in the minor leagues and like half set up slash chaos control guy with the Mets as well. Man, I, I think the one year I had 39 inherited runners and only one scored. And I came in to games with bases loaded a couple of times and one no outs. And it's like, I've been here before. And what's even better is I did it to myself. These aren't even my runs. So I'm really not concerned right now, <laughs> but there's a, but there's a freedom that you develop from those opportunities of going to a place where they're going to afford you those chances. And um, there's something I like to give to a lot of guys that I speak to now last year in a shortened draft where the talent was super dense and certainly again this year because of the reclassifications. But when you have five rounds with the supplemental, so six picks, most teams got six picks. We took two division one guys. One was our first overall, Nick Gonzalez, second baseman. And then we took Carmen Majinski from South Carolina, really good arm. And then we took a high school arm, Jared Jones out of California. The other three picks were NAIA D3 and D2 and five rounds. Like, it wasn't, we didn't take them in the 25th round. We didn't take them in the 30th round. Like we took them in our only five, five, six picks we had last year. So when it comes to college selection, if you can get to a place where you know you're going to get opportunities to play, which means you're going to develop and then opportunities to play in really good summer leagues, like teams are going to find you if professional baseball is your goal and you'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a great piece of advice. You know, for everybody out there listening, if you're good enough, they'll find you, right? You don't have to be on the map. And a lot of times I think it's better because if you're the guy at, you know, the, the lone school, right. You stick out more as opposed to, you know, at LSU, they have, everybody comes in there, right. Everybody that already got drafted before they got there most of the time. Right. So I always think it's a difference in, you know, everybody wants to, the big school, the, the, all the stuff at the SPN, but a lot of times for your personal growth, as you talked about, you want to put yourself in situations where you're going to struggle, right? Because if you didn't have those times with bases loaded on your own, you know, on your own dime, uh, when you came up and, and going through college, you would have been, a, you know, a mess on the mound when it comes down professional baseball. But I think it's important to learn how to do those things. And not only, you know, you don't have to, you know, put yourself in scenarios, but I think it's important to think, you know, through outside the box. Okay. If I go to this school or if I choose this coach, what is their plan for me? Right. Are they going to let me kind of go? Or are they going to hold me back? Right. How many other kids are there? Right. These are all important things to think about when we're going on to the next level. Right. It's always the same thing with kids coming out of high school that want to get drafted. Right. You go into it. You could be the greatest player in the nation. You go into a pool of 400 kids that have, you know, similar stuff. And, you know, yeah. you've seen it as much as I, a lot of kids that are phenomenal in high school, right. Commits to Vanderbilt and LSU. They take that drafted route. And a lot of times I think they get caught in the wayside and then their career's over in five years. And, and that's a, you know, a sad thing, but it's that sheer number, right. And that ability mm -hmm. to, you know, going into a place where there's so many other guys that have, 
that skill set, right? 95, 97, all that stuff. Everybody does that, right? It's it's not about that anymore, right? We just talked about Jake throwing 102, but it's <laughs> just a thing, right? It's more, you know, the sliders and the thing, but it's, I think it's more learning how to pitch and being able to put yourself in situations early on, because it's all about the mindset. If you can, you know, will yourself that I'm going to get out of this, or I've done this before, your pitches will come. Whereas if you just have all the talent, but your head's not there, then you're just going to unravel. And I think that's a huge deal. And, and I think people need to really concentrate on that, the mindset stuff, because that's where everything comes from, whether it's the training or the stuff on the mound, right? It's all mm-hmm. about how you think and prepare and, and, you know, what you're doing. I mean, I watched the thing on, you know, Johan Santana yesterday because it was the anniversary or close of his perfect game. And just what he said was, you know, he was in like the eighth inning. He's at 125 pitches, which is probably like a curse word now because they come out of <laughs> But he was like, I'm getting out of it right after they called the uh, I believe it was a foul ball or somebody made a terrific catch. He's like, all right, I'm getting the next six guys out. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't going to wait around for somebody else to do it. There's that point where you determine that this is taken care of. I'm just going to walk it out. Exactly. Uh, When you grew up, did you play other sports? Were you highly active? Like, as it was just when you started playing baseball, was it something that not kind of came, but there was already attributes and stuff of of the athletic background when you uh, started playing? Yeah. So, uh, especially where I'm from soccer and maybe this is like most places, soccer as a young kid is usually fairly popular because you can just show up at a field and run around, chase the ball. It's like good conditioning, physical, you're learning social skills, believe it or not at those ages, just how to cooperate with other people. Um, so I played soccer for a few years, um, played flag football for a couple of years, got into football in middle school. Um, when I transferred to a public school out of a private in seventh grade. And so those were kind of my sporting backgrounds, but like in middle school, I did track. I tried to do pole vaulting. I tried to do long jumping. I tried basketball. I can't dribble, but I can guard really well. So let me do that. Like there were, there were things of course, within my background that I think led to the ability for baseball to become a more natural response, which is of extreme value. And that may be a really, uh, really weak point in today's kids development is that they're specializing way too early. And I know it gets talked about a ton, but there's something to be said about developing skills in other sports, because if you specialize as a pitcher at 12, that's a really, really close skill. Like there's no real change in environment. There's no really outside forces screwing with you. You don't have to react. You're the one aggressing. So there's, there's benefit to being on the other end through soccer, football, basketball, where you're just, you're in a reactionary sport causing lateral movements. Like it's just, there's a huge benefit. And yeah, I I think my background there a little bit, doing some volleyball with my sisters, of course, and playing outside was, was a huge benefit to me. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I was another one. I played every sport, ice hockey, all that stuff, uh, which helped. But I I think that's very interesting. And I, I, I mean, I want to bring it up because it's a big problem. 12 years old, you're, you're just a pitcher or you only play a sport. One of the things I've noticed, you know, from the performance side is that kids are, instead of playing pickup basketball with their friends or going out and playing stickball and, and all the things kind of we used to do when you were younger, right? They're now going to a coach in a performance place. And I'm like, yeah, but a deadlift bar in me is not going to teach you how to get along with 11 kids you just met at the park to kind of play a game, right? That camaraderie mm-hmm. and those things that you just talked about, they're all going by the wayside because now, you know, you talk to the kids, I mean, not all, but 
hey, did you play? Did you play basketball at all, or did you play baseball, or did you do anything this weekend? Oh no, you know, there's no more basketball, ice hockey, rollerblading, tackle football. Those are not things that that happen, and I think that's very alarming because you know you talk about it now. I'm sure you were in high school too. We didn't take off when we had practice, right? We'd go to somebody's house and play like pickup basketball, and they're like, okay, it's yeah. soccer game later. There wasn't like we weren't like sitting on the couch like you know meditating and making sure we had pregame meals on we just oh god it's 3 30 okay i have to go play a sport you know for me it was basketball you know with you is all the other ones but i, I always think it's interesting you know kids play baseball and, and that's it right a lot of times that now they quit their other sport in like the eighth grade and i don't really understand why that dynamic comes because on espn if you listen openly especially vanderbilt very adamant um, and I heard about it when they were talking about the regionals uh, with the uh, women's softball this week, too. The kids that they recruit are multi-sport. It was basically like everybody we recruit is a multi-sport. If you play basketball, if you play this, we're going to have you on your team if you have those other things. Because just like you brought up, it's the patterns, right? And it's not – you don't have to go to the best coach. You don't have to do anything. You just need to be out there, especially soccer. I mean, anybody out there listening, a parent – Play soccer, right? Lateral movement, camaraderie, just the whole thing. But soccer is just amazing, right? The the initiative for injury is low. Please, I don't want to hear about 11-year-olds don't tear their ACLs. It doesn't happen. But just the running around, that camaraderie, being on time, the whole thing. But it's an amazing, amazing sport. And I just think it's so important, you know, bringing that up, that we have to – you have to make sure that you're still being a kid. But it's also – it's going to help your ability, right? Don't quit basketball in the eighth grade. Because if you just pitch, we don't have anything to kind of go off of. Oh, you just pitch now. That's it. You're right. I'm sure you've seen kids too. You put them on a basketball court and I'm like, have you ever touched a, a basketball? Right. It goes over the backboard and all, <laughs> the and all this stuff and things like that. But I, I think that's, that's just something that needs to be, you know, addressed because you're, you're limiting yourself by doing that. And what if it baseball doesn't work out? Now we can play basketball and now we can do, you know, other things. So I think it's very interesting. Uh, so, with the, you know, the, the stuff you did now, I just want to go into the, the injuries, right, that you had and, and kind of how that segued uh, into um, what you're doing now and kind of the lessons and things you learned from, from coming off of that stuff. Yeah, so uh, really the beginning of it, I remember my senior year when I switched to pitching, I felt like my bicep was really sore. Of what I knew what my bicep was, I didn't have much of one because I weighed 160 pounds at six, four. So it was, there, there was skin and bones for the most part, but, um, went and pitched my entire freshman year in college. And then at the end of the year was told I have bicep tendonitis. So I got shut down, had an opportunity to play with the Olympic team. I was there for two weeks and couldn't throw really without like almost coming to tears. So they sent me home, missed the next fall, was ready for the spring, but it was kind of okay, like not great. But there was this common thread of, well, it's bicep tendonitis. Like you're just not strong enough. You're, it's not in shape. We have to get it in shape. We have to get it stronger. And I think to some degree that's the case. Um, and I'll hold there. So I go into professional baseball. I play short season state college, did really well. Come to my first spring training, pull an oblique. On the way back from it, my shoulder starts bugging me. And literally for the next year and a half, I couldn't really throw past 60 feet. I had three MRIs done, at least three, at least. Uh, a couple cortisone injections and everything was clean. There was no problem. But for whatever reason, something really, really hurt. Um, and decided that if 
something permanently was going to go wrong, then I'd rather it go wrong with me trying to play rather than sitting here on this table and getting my shoulder ultrasounded every single day and nothing changing. So went out, there was some benefit there. taught me how to pitch because I wasn't throwing 98 anymore. I was throwing 88. I couldn't throw a breaking ball because I couldn't get enough hand speed to actually spin one. So I had to learn to change up. So it's completely different pitcher and was forced with, Hey, are you going to figure out how to do this? Or are you just going to quit? Chances were very slim that it would come back, but I was fortunate that really within a three-day period had some rhythm and timing things within my delivery click right. And I was back to 97 within three days after a bullpen session. So it was, I, I give God 100% of the credit for that because that's nothing that I did or could have done. Um, come off of that come off that, stay healthy for the next three years. Uh, then again, the shoulder starts flaring up in spring training with you. When I met you in 2015, um, same kind of deal. Hey, it's just really weak. Like I had a herniated disc in my neck. So maybe there's some nerve like hindrance there. It's causing some weakness, whatever. So we get it tamed down It never came back. So then that sent me on a mission to go figure out how to throw hard again, because I wasn't throwing as hard as I used to. And everyone told me, well, your legs aren't working as well. Okay. And this is something that I know that most of my younger kids, when I work with them, like, Hey, someone ever told you to use your legs. And we're like, yeah. And like, have they explained how to actually do that? <laughs> most of them say no, like <laughs> no, but for whatever reason, that's going to make sense when they tell me to do it and it's going to translate. I'll know how to interpret that. But I uh, went to several facilities. I've done driveline. I've done top velocity. I've done Florida baseball ranch. I've done Texas baseball ranch. Um, Cressy is one I have not done because he was fairly smaller at the time uh, or a little more exclusive. Hadn't really opened up his place in Palm Beach at that point um, and tried all these places and I would get my legs super strong, my core working really well, my pelvis rotating fast, and then my arms started hurting more. It's like, well, this, this doesn't make much sense. Like, I'm starting to wonder if my legs are not the problem here. Maybe there's something wrong with my arm. Um, was introduced to a guy named Dave Coggins out of PFA baseball out in Claremont. Uh, Joe Kelly was one of his, uh, original clients in 2016. And if anyone's paid somewhat close attention to baseball, Joe Kelly was drafted in 2009 until 2016. He spent at least, I want to say 30 days every year on the DL and come 2016, he has now to this day, not been on the DL one day. Wow. So there was something after 2017 that sparked my interest of like, wonder what he did. So I reached out to him. He was one of my roommates in summer league. Um, <clears throat> and he's like, Hey, go hang out with Dave. So I went out there for three weeks and it was the first time that I had had someone explain to me that I could teach myself to actually throw differently, not just my legs, not arm slot, but I could teach my arm to move in a more efficient pattern. And you're aware of when lifting, if you're not efficient in the movements, like your ceiling for weight movement is really low. And oftentimes that coordination of the movement allows for bigger jumps initially because you're just, you're doing it correctly. Um, so I spent three weeks out there with him and it changed everything I thought I knew about throwing. And that was when I decided if I wasn't going to play this anymore, then I dang sure better be giving this information to other people. Um, so those injuries basically led me to a point of walking through every training facility, going through every type of protocol, 
every movement screen, whatever treatments you can name. I've done everything <laughs> all to go to this guy that just basically said, Hey, I'm going to put you in some preset positions and this is the only thing you got to do. And it was it's like that through 94 off a mound to some Juco guys a couple of years ago, just on a whim two years ago, they just needed some arms. And I was like, yeah, I'm not playing anymore, but I'll come out and throw. And it's like, this works. Like I can bank on this now teaching it like, cause I know it works. Um, and so that, that led me to this point and doing what I do now. Yeah, no, I, I think that's you know great. And, and Dave's great. Uh, anybody want to listen to him? He was on here um, a few episodes ago. Great conversation about the pocket path and just, you know, wealth of knowledge. But I, I think, you know, going back to what you said, too, it's always interesting. They always try to pick out things that are wrong. Right. I, I, I love how, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen you in person. You know, your legs are strong. You move around. Right. In the weight room, you'd be going around like a crazy person. That wasn't the problem. But it's always, oh, you're not using your legs. So what? So in their mind, it's you went to sleep on Monday and on Wednesday you woke up and you stopped using your legs when you do this thing in <laughs> years, right? And I always, it's always, I always feel like, especially with you guys, you know, when you're in the minors and as a player, not now, I'm not bashing the sports medicine staff, but a lot of times they don't want to hear what you're talking about, right? I have a very close friend with the Mets, I won't name any names, but he had back problems for four years. And he said, my back hurts, my back hurts, my back hurts. Oh, you're soft, you're soft. And, you know, this kid is the most unsoft person I've ever met in my life. Like, you know, he threw a full water cooler over his head onto the field one time when he got thrown out, like effortlessly. But anyway, it was that. And then long story short, four years later, he has a herniated disc. But I think it's that, you know, this, this relentlessly, and it's getting better now, but you have to listen to the players, right? Anybody involved in sports medicine out there, you know, if you don't do this, you have to listen to your players because not all of it is them trying to get out of throwing, right? Especially in professional baseball, I never really understood a lot of that. Oh, they don't want to throw. And I'm like, yeah, but something's got to be going wrong because they're not going to stay. If you're hurt, they don't keep you around, right? There's no thing that says, oh, we're just going to hang out for three years. So I think it's a very important part just to you know, you said, oh, it's my shoulder, right? But the, the reasons they give you to me, it's always been crazy. You know, I think it's, well, your legs don't work or, you know, now there is the yips. Now, if anybody doesn't know the yips, that's a long, huge road that I don't know if anybody's kind of figured it out yet, but that's usually the first thing, right? Oh, it's mental. And then it's, and then it's, you know, something with the legs. What I feel is, is a big deal. And, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but they start to throw a lot of different guys at you and you work with like a, a different person every week and you're not really able to, uh, to get used to anything, right? Instead of going to one person and say, you're going to work with this one individual, right? There's a lot of passing around because after five, six days, they don't really want to, or nothing's working, right? Whatever they're doing. And I just think that's very interesting, especially with Dave, because with his stuff, I loved it because it's just simple, right? I mean, I've been to the ranch as well. I, I met the guys from driveline and, and nothing taken away from them, but a lot of it to me was very complicated, right? It's not things you can go home and do. And as you know, you know, with pitching, mm -hmm. it's a reputable thing, right? And then you, a lot of times you'll see it. They'll go to the facility. Everything is wonderful. They'll go to some league or they'll take, you know, a couple of weeks off and they'll came back and they're a disaster. And then the answer is always, well, they didn't do their drills every day for two hours. Right. And one yeah. of the things with Dave stuff is you can, with the pocket path and that stuff, you can practice that repet you know, the repetitive delivery over and over mm -hmm. and over again. And I, I think that is, is an absolute direction that we should go to because, you know, you go to certain places, they're telling 14 year old kids, here's two hours worth of stuff that you need to do every single day. And if anything is wrong in your mechanics, it's because you did something wrong or you're not doing 
this two hours worth of stuff the way I told you when you were here. Yeah, it's insanity. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's yeah. a crazy thing. Uh, so, you know, coming through the injuries, I just, did they ever find out what was, was going on? Did you ever get a, uh, you know, like this is the problem or is it just, was it a bunch of stuff? Yeah. I mean, uh, 2016, I believe, uh, Dr. Meister down in Texas at uh, TMI, Texas Medical Institute. He's the Rangers team doc, uh, the Dallas Stars. So, Really good dude. We send a lot of our guys from Texas to rehab there in the off seasons. Um, He noticed in an x-ray, a giant bone spur. Uh, So there was that that had to get shaved down. That was one surgery. And then my attempt to come back in indie ball, I ended up chipping off a piece of my elbow somewhere inside of there, decided to just keep throwing. Um, And you know, and that was the last time I really played uh, competitively, but those were the two things I dealt with. So nothing like I never had UCL surgery. I didn't tear a labrum. I didn't tear a rotator cuff muscle. Like they were always minor little plaguing things, which led me to believe now knowing what I know, I just did not move very well. And when you don't move well and you have a high power output, which I thought looking back, I was like, man, my legs actually were really good my arm didn't want to take the stress. So everything else starts to break down. The legs will actually back off the gas because it hurts to transfer that energy to the arm. So that's something that I notice a ton now with our rehab guys is oftentimes their legs don't work real well. And it's not because they don't know how to use them. Their body has made an adjustment to relieve the pain of the arm prior to the injury or the shutdown period. Um, and so it starts to decelerate and take off some of the gas that it would normally put into it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I think that's something that needs to be talked about because the, the early mechanics, we talked about it, right. With the soccer and stuff, you know, when you're going after pitching or anything in general, you have to make sure that the person teaching you at a young age or whatever, they're making sure that the techniques are keeping you safe because just like, you know, as you said, that's what happens, right. The power output is there, but your arm is, you know, if anybody's ever looked at it out there listening, it's about a golf ball sitting on a tee with five rubber bands around it. And you're literally, you're, you're putting jewels on there. Now, this is an always a lovely stat I love. If you accelerated your body at the same speed that you accelerate your arm when you throw 90 and above, your body would die in 60 seconds because of the G-forces. So that's the amount of, you know, torque we're placing on this little joint. But it's very important with the technique because I've seen it and, and I've heard about it too. It's let's get your legs going or let's do something else. And all you're doing is getting further and further away from what you're really trying to do because you're blowing your legs up. But the body's going to stop. Right. And, you know, as you experience too, there's not necessarily pain there, right? Your body, your brain identifies, Hey, something's wrong, or I don't want to move this way because something's going on. And that's where we start to have those issues with, with the techniques and, and things of that sort. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the initial where the breakdown happens. And that was exactly, it was and experienced it with a kid last year in spring training who was coming back off an elbow deal. And, um, the legs were probably the worst I'd ever seen as far as the mechanics of how his lower half moved. Well, he hadn't fixed really the arm, but that wasn't a thought they, you know, you come up throwing this way, like don't fix it. If it ain't broke type deal. Well, it's broke now. Well, but we don't know what to do to fix it type deal. So we cleaned up his arm and in two weeks we got eight miles an hour back. And then his legs started working better naturally because he was able to put more energy into the arm because 
throwing is based around the ball going in that direction, at least for us, for pitching towards the catcher. And we want to throw it as hard as we can typically. So the body is going to organize itself in a way to accomplish the hand getting somewhere out front that gives you the best chance for it to go forward. Well, you get all these goofy things going on. You start to see breakdowns in the legs. You start to see head yang, glove pulls. So all those things typically are usually a byproduct, in my opinion, and often uh, when speaking with Dave, that what this is doing back here, because this captures all the energy, the rest of it's going to accommodate. So if we don't throw hard, chances are we're either one, just not developed yet, because that does happen. Had a kid yesterday that's really clean mover, but he's a sophomore in high school and he's still kind of Gumby-ish. And hey, man, we just got to keep you moving correctly and you'll continue to develop assuming you have a correct strength and conditioning type program to build that foundation, learn how to remove slack out of the system so that you can be quicker through these little phases. Um, but you'll get that or you'll get just like, and you'll get some serious breakdown from guys because of lack of efficiency within their movement. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's a, a great point. And, and I've seen it with my, you know, high school kids. It's, they're comparing themselves to everybody. Yeah, that's why I can't stand social media uh, because they're constantly comparing themselves mm -hmm. to somebody whose pictures on Instagram throw a 98 and it's, when am I going to be here? Why am I not here? He weighs less than me. I'm taller than he is. And you see all these things and, you know, they don't want to take that step back, right? Thankfully the kid you just brought up, you know, is, is kind of buying in and, and taking that step. But I think that's another constraint you see because it's they want to go more right they can't just yeah. be like hey we're gonna hang out here you know and then as in the next couple years it's gonna come but right now we need to hang out here because what most people understand is when your body grows we go backwards in technique about six months and I think that's something that isn't really talked about in the fact that if you're six, four and you throw 92, and then the next year you show up at six, six, we have to go all the way back because now we have a lever that's two inches longer powered by legs that we're used to throwing something that was, you know, shorter and the body is going to figure that out. And that, that there is not enough talk about those things, right? I think it's nonchalantly talked about in bigger schools, right, where they have freshman programs and they make sure that they do different things and they're under different loads and different exercises. But in the professional ranks, sometimes it's not really talked about as much. I know with the Astros, they have a kind of a system where you, you're in a specific area based on your body and then your outputs on the catapult system. But as you progress, that's how we do that. But I just think that's a, a great point to bring up that it, you need to monitor how big you are. You need to make sure that if you're growing or you're continuously growing or you're 15 years old, it's all going to come and, you know, you just need to wait. Now, if you're throwing 50 miles an hour at 17, that might not happen. But, you know, when it's there, I think it's just to be patient and to make sure you're doing what's best for your body. Because, I mean, I've seen it a bunch of times, the impatience. It's, you know, I want to throw 97 in ninth grade. Ow. I'm like, no, you don't. You want to throw like 85 up until like, the end of your junior year, because you don't need to be throwing 99 miles an hour as a freshman, your arm's going to fly off your body. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it is, it becomes a rat race for a lot of it, which is probably led to the industry being what it is, which is we're looking for what's flashy, what's big, what can make a change immediately. And 
and I use Dave a lot in my examples, he's built a process over, it's been far past a decade now and it's been proven. It's not super flashy, like it's kind of small town under the radar. Didn't really know about it. Got to know somebody type deal to kind of stumble across him. Um, but the system has proven itself for all ages, all body types, um, because it is addressing efficiency and efficiency matters most for health for one, but also output. Like you can't have inefficient movements creating a ton of output. There will be a limit and then something will break. Not to say you won't have a break moving efficiently. Cause there's a lot of guys that are pretty efficient. They still have stuff. And I think you get down into genetics and connective tissue makeup and all sorts of other things like that, that really do play a part. But in the end, whether you're 130 or 210, bulging muscles, or we can see your elbow bones, every one of them, <laughs> hey, you are who you are at this moment. If you are taking care of your recovery, your nutrition, your gym time, and your catch play hitting, whatever it may be, like you're setting yourself up to continue to progress in a way that will give you an opportunity on the back end, whether it's not there right now or not. Yeah, absolutely. The genetics plays a role right but it's not everybody that throws i think the the part is that the genetics allow people with bad mechanics if you will to to the trained eye to throw 99 and 100 miles an hour <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yours were a little i mean you know the, the ball came out there but I, a few times i was like oh man this yeah, is gonna but it shot out right. of there like a cannon so and, <laughs> you know, i was it was my first year so i don't think i wasn't allowed to talk to anybody but i was like it looks a little, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, but you know, it might be uh, a little, a little crazy, but like I said, I think the, the understanding of genetics is it has to be there, you know, but mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether you have, you know, the point of this is whether you have the genetics or not, make sure that you get somebody that understands technique and that you understand. I think it's very important understanding your own technique, right? Every time you have a problem, yeah. if you have to go running back to the pitching, now I'm not saying don't make friends, but if you have to call the pitching coach or, or whatever, every time, that's not going to bode well for your, you know, go moving forward. Because as I said before, you're on the mound by yourself, right? And when you're in minor leagues and God knows where in Indiana, because there's some places out there that are just wonderful, you know, you have to learn how to do that and not whether or not to pitch. I don't think it's whether or not to pitch, pitch efficiently, but to understand when your body's going to get hurt, what it needs, what's going on. Those are the things that he's talking about in that when you start to learn your body and when you get with somebody that explains it to you in a way that you can understand, right? Cause we shouldn't have to be rocket scientists to understand anatomy again with how everything is right. Bigger, more, more explosive mm -hmm. Instagram. You want this big, huge paragraph that explains every fiber, but in the end people don't understand that. So I think the best way to do it is to present it, you know, in a very simple way. And the same thing with Dave, his stuff is great but it's not flashy. It's not crazy. You know, he's not lighting kids on fire and having them long toss. So I think that's, that's a thing where hopefully that ends. And it's just, how do people feel coming out of this program? Right. What do people say being out of this? What's that injury rate? And what is the overall, I get like the feeling and the goal of the kids that come out of there. I think that's what we should be looking for and not, Oh, this person went here. Right. My favorite is this big leaguer went to this place. And I'm like, well, that big leaguer won, two Cy Youngs before he went to that place. So they didn't really help him win a Cy Young. They just, you know, the genetics probably, right. They charge those genetics. You're right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. uh, I just, I want to go through. So, you know, we went through the injuries and things when you came out of baseball, right. When you were done and everything, 
How was the transition for you into coaching? Was it something you kind of picked right up away because of everything you went through in your, in your own career? Yeah, it was a lot smoother than I had expected. Um, I had never been released to that point and was told in a spring training meeting with the team out in the Atlantic league, like, Hey, Vic, like did a great job. We just don't have a place for you. I thought, all right, well, that wasn't so bad. I'll just go pack up my stuff, drive home, go fishing for a weekend and figure out what to do next. Um, <laughs> I had to figure it out real quick though. Cause I'd gotten married. So there was a, a sweet lady relying on my ability to provide, or at least look, start looking for something. Um, and I knew I had just learned some new information that was really helpful. So I began teaching at a local DBAT. Uh, didn't really know what I was going to do at that point. I thought it was going to be a really great gig. Turned out it's a little bumpy. Um, began my own business, the arm doc, which is what my social media pages are. Um, teaching a lot of what Dave taught me, but also the things that I learned from all the places I went to. Um, and not just techniques, not just drills, not just ideas, but taking all that stuff and learning how to implement it individually to every person um, without flooding them with information, which can be debilitating, especially to younger minds now when all they're getting is spin rates and curve and like, what's it doing? What's that pitch doing? Like, hey, man, it's taken us an hour to throw 20 pitches because you're asking me five questions after each pitch. Like, that ain't it. And to your point, like, I can't be out here with you. You don't get this feedback in a game. You have to go compete at some point. Um, led me into my own business and then reached out to some folks at the Pirates that I knew that were still here. Uh, the group that actually had drafted me, um, front office group. And so in doing that, came down to Instructs two years ago, spent a couple of days, went back home, just continued kind of my own little deal and helping out with a local junior college that my wife had coached at uh, doing volleyball and they called me and asked if I wanted to come on as like a, hold on just one sec. Well, yeah, Sorry, man. No, 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 no problem. You guys okay? Also. Um, but yeah, they, they asked me to come down, uh, join as what was at the time going to be uh, fourth coach in Altoona where our double A team is at, but having just gotten married a year and a half prior and then had our first child on the way that was going to be born what well, was born last May. So in the middle of the summer, I thought there's no way I can do this to Amanda. Like I know what the minor league baseball life is. And I remember what the coaches were doing. They were there at 10 AM every day. They were leaving at midnight. You're gone half the year. And then the other times you're home, you're sleeping and you wake up and you leave again. Mm -hmm. Like that ain't going to work. So I asked like, Hey, is there any way I could be out of the facility in Florida? That way I can be home. They were freaking awesome. They accommodated that. Um, which then COVID happened and, you know, you get shut down and we sent a bunch of players home. We had some that got stuck here because they couldn't get back into Venezuela when it all happened. That opened up for us to go up there three days a week. I decided to stay here because we had our baby here and newborn and like we're already here, like at least wait till season ends and he's a little older and we'll travel back. Um, but it gave me the opportunity to go up and really start putting into work some of the processes that I use now. Uh, and, not testing, but really doing like what I imagine a lot of what our strength coaches do now. When I notice they'll put guys through a six week type cycle targeting certain areas, whether it's their force production or how fast they can call on that force production, whatever it may be. 
I was doing that in the throwing space of like, Hey, I built this out. We're going to do this for six weeks. And then we're going to reevaluate and see where we're at. What do we need to trim off? What do we need to add? Do we need to change directions completely? Like there's a chance that that's also there. So we're able to run through those types of processes, kind of perfect that technique on how to do it in the professional space because of the different things that we encounter as far as guys, maybe not doing anything in off season or doing a ton and showing up broken down already, whatever it may be. Um, and then it opened up a door for me to basically pitch the idea of like a rehab throwing performance coach. Um, and they took it and that is what I am doing to this point, which is really freaking awesome because I get to spend around time, time around all of the age groups. So I've got young first year in the States, Latin guys with American high schoolers with, we've got a kid from Italy coming in at 17 that speaks only Italian. And I've got some big league guys that are rehabbing right now. And so you're getting to be around all of them. And there's more learning really for me, even in this of this big league guy over here, like I watch him throw. I know what I would do, but he also has played three, four years, has made some money. This is his career. So how do I go about approaching this? Well, the best way is I read this book, Motivational Coaching. So it's basically you're, you're just asking guiding questions to pique interest and hopefully lead the athlete to a solution. And it's been really fun to watch that process unfold with different, um, I guess, expertise within different guys. So like a big league guy as opposed to a low A guy that really doesn't know what he's doing quite yet or a Latin guy that I have a language barrier and I can't get a whole lot across. So those types of um, techniques have been something that's honed in for me a lot more than I already have a firm grasp, I believe on how to teach throwing, but how to teach it is way easier than like how to teach a individual to throw because they're all so unique the way they interpret what you tell them. Like it's man, it is a precision science. Uh, but it's been freaking awesome. Have a lot of resources, which helps a ton and uh, guys that are hungry to get better and see improvement and go compete. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, that ability to, to take your system, right. Anybody listening out there too, if you have a system, whether it's pitching strength, conditioning, you need to take it and you need to present it with every age group, right? Because the difference between a first-year kid at a high school and a big leaguer, you can't go there with the same thing, right? But as Vic said, and I, I love it, is that they're, they're, they have a problem or an issue, and you, it's your job to, kind of, to figure out a solution to that, but you have to deliver it differently to each guy, right? A big leaguer, you can't walk up to him and be like, well, your fastball is terrible and your arm angle screwed and you're not using your legs. You, you can't do things like that. And I think the on the other direction, what I noticed is a lot of guys or a lot of coaches in the big leagues, they're afraid of the players and they're afraid to tell them what to do, right? And for me, right, and it wasn't like I was, you know, but I was never like that because I'm like, what? They're, they play baseball, I'm a coach, right? And as long as you don't go out there like an asshole and start taking apart stuff, they'll listen to you. And I think that's something where people think that just because they're in the big leagues, they have everything figured out. And, you know, but then in the minor leagues, they treat you like you're in Cub Scouts. And I think that blur is you do have guys in the minor leagues. You've got guys come out of high school occasionally. They know everything about what's going on, what moves, you know, sometimes a little too much, but there is that mix. So I think it's great that you got to experience that. And I've always said it too. If you think you have something, 
go go to Latin America, go teach a group of Latin American kids where you know semi, you know, little Spanish phrases. And if you can get them to do your program and work, then you've had it figured out, right? Because that was always, I always talk about that as one of my biggest, you know, advances in coaching. Because when I first got, I didn't speak Spanish. I was from Brooklyn and well, not from, but coaching in <laughs> Brooklyn. So I get down there and they're like, here's these kids, go on, good luck. And there's nobody else in the weight room. So you have to you have to learn the language. You have to learn the body language. You have to learn, for me, it was more demo, right? Instead of explaining. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. just off as a cusp, the Zoom stuff has been the same way. You know, when you train a client through a screen, you can't point to their knee. You can't tell them things. So you start to learn things to use in the room. You start to figure out what words kind of help. And I, and I think that's what we're getting at is the cueing. Everything mm-hmm. is is different. But when you when you learn, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is how to present your stuff, right? Coach a long time ago said you can present it either, you can present your shit on a platter or a silver plate, a paper plate or a silver platter, right? And not that that's a negative, but it's how do you present stuff, right? Everybody as, as a coach, everybody can use help, but it's all about presentation. And I think that's something that kind of loses it where it's, I'm the best and I know everything and you should listen to me instead of going in there saying, okay, I know you have it figured out. But I've noticed from my, you know, my experience that this is a problem. Will you let me help you? And then if you let me help you, what are some of the ways that you're going to allow me to help you? And I think that is, is a better way to go about things. than you have people that, oh, well, they coached at so-and-so, right? I never liked, well, this coach was here. He knows what he's doing. Or this guy played 10 years. That doesn't matter, right? Especially since, you know, we've talked about it too, the evolving player the 20 year old and the 35 year old are two different things and they're going to need help with different things because much like when you have an injury, the body starts to course correct and kind of make up for that loss in range of motion and in those fast twitch muscles as we go about that stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, the approach to the individual matters probably. It's probably the 80% of the equation. The other 20% is the actual information you're giving. Yeah. And, I, and, Speaking of the information too, I, I think that one of the interesting things in the stuff I hate is the analytics is thrown down everybody's throat, but you don't need the analytics until the end. Like when you're good and you're done, like we'll bring up DeGrom, he throws 102. So on a day where he's a hundred or something doesn't feel right, it helps him to know that his spin rate on his fastball is, you know, 3,500 or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. But if you're a guy who's throwing 80, and you used to throw 83 and you're seven. It doesn't matter where your spin rate is because it's going to go up anyway, you know, genetically or as you throw. So I think those things, the delivery, right? Everybody always talks about, well, he does this wrong or he does that, right? Diaz is terrifying when he throws, but the ball goes over the plate and it's 101, right? The Grom's like a symphony and Diaz is like a car wreck. The ball comes at the <laughs> same thing, but I think it's important. You, you can't say, well, it's the delivery or it's the slot or this happens because you'll see a lot of guys, they take one step off the mound, the arm comes out to the right, and then they sidearm it at 97. You're not going to, you know, explain to them how to use their legs. These are things, right, because it's such an evolving game and the deliveries are such so different, you have to learn what to pick out of the pitch and learn what certain things are supposed to look for. And, and Vic, I mean, I, when I went to Florida, one of the things with Randy at the baseball ranch I noticed is, and I really liked was the markers, right? We've established markers of what guys that throw hard and efficient have. So they try to get you to go and reach these certain markers, right? Heel off, toe off, you know, getting the hip into the ground and things like that. And I think 
out of their stuff, right? That is something I, I really like, right? Using certain things like that in, in the teaching of the mechanics. Yeah, absolutely. So when I look at the delivery, um, because there are things we know about elite throwers, the similarities that they do, these markers that the Florida baseball range talks about. Um, I often struggle with markers because I think of them as still images. So mm -hmm. you'll see deliveries broken down in the still images. There's a small problem in my opinion with the still image analysis how did they get to that position? Yeah, they may have the ball up at front foot landing, but did they get it up there too early? Because too early is actually external rotation beginning too soon, which causes a ton of elbow drag. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got four guys that are all in the same position. Well, but one of them, that hip's already starting to rotate, and that ball's been sitting up there a long time in the back, which is what DeGrom did prior to 2016. He also was throwing 94 to 96 and had some shoulder stuff. Well, you look at it now and that ball's not up there until it's basically like Tatis fielding a backhand in the hole. Yeah. Like it's rotating up with the hip. It's not up and then the hips rotating because we cause more drag. So we look at windows of movement. We want to know within this window, which gives us a barrier because not everyone's going to move the same, but we know if we stay within this window, we're going to maximize the potential of that movement. So then we have, the lift we have the or the load we have the drift we have landing we have hip shoulder separate like 13 subcategories essentially but they're set up into four phases and so those phases of movements are what we look at and if we can refine those then you're still your unique self but you are moving in a cleaner way and so yeah there's there's a lot of information i think to um some degree it's probably uh hurting the cause of baseball development, but also at the same time, it doesn't give us much of an excuse to say, well, we used to do it this way. So that's how we're going to do it. Yeah. You know, because that, that's just ignorant. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's uh, something to, when you watch the movements, there is always a predisposed movement. So what did they do before and after, right? Because we could same talk about the same thing in a squat, right? You could sit at parallel but if you shifted left, if you take the bar off the rack and then you shift left and then back to right and sit down, we have a giant problem, right? And I 100% I agree. And, and I think that not only analyzing still, people get caught up in looking at still images. When you watch somebody throw, people concentrate on, concentrate on one thing happening mm -hmm. instead of how did they get their foot into the ground? What happens after? Because as you said, if you put the foot in the ground, right, everything comes forward, that's great. But if your arm's behind you, you're going to get Tommy John or you're going to have labrum surgery. So I think those are the things to, you know, that really need to be brought about as opposed to look at the angle here, look at this, look at that. It's yes, you need to get here, but we also need you to be here too to mm -hmm. get to this thing. And I don't think we're there a hundred percent yet in, in identifying the prerequisites for the markers that we want. Yeah. You know, so that way we would be able to maybe alleviate. And I, and I love to, you know, I mean, when I was with Tometz, we had a pitching coach and he said, you should put a lock on that weight room because it's a disaster. So I think, you know, that old way as well, you know, it's, it's, it's an ignorance because it's why not use the technology, you know, why not use these things because you want the guys to be healthier, you know, just because it, it worked back then, but we have all this stuff. But I, I think, 
it's an over it's it's overwhelming the analytics is just so much i mean if you watch baseball they talk about it on every single play a guy flies out to center oh he hit the ball at 150 i'm like who cares it's 35 feet short of the the you know short of the center field and the guy's still on second base and they're down by six runs and he hasn't hit a single in two months but it's those things and i think that it's you know it's almost like a lot of times, and, and I'd like to get your opinion on this. What do you think about, I feel like people concentrate on easy scapegoat things because they don't want to fix them. Instead of saying, I need to fix how you deliver your ball to get your spin rate up or down, your spin rate's off and then that's it. Yeah, that, that probably is more the case. Uh, we're really blessed over here that our analytics group takes a real um, – real careful time in assessing edutronic video, which is the super slow-mo 1000 frames per second. Like most of the time you're getting ball released from behind. So you can see where the pitch is coming off. Like, Hey, he's saying he's throwing a slider, but his fingers never get into this point of the ball. Um, oftentimes in the past I'd heard, well, tell him to get his finger to the front of the ball. It's like, okay, but chances are, this is a byproduct of what happened to everything before. Yeah. That's, that's how this got to, that's how it got to where it is. So our analytics group is phenomenal in the sense that they'll show us the information. They'll show us the video. And then they'll ask us, Hey, if you were to reverse engineer this, how could you get him into a better place? Because we potentially see his fastballs training this way, which is really good, but we think there could be more if he was able to get his hand at 95% efficient. What do you think is happening in his delivery? That's causing this. Because there are some guys like Greg Maddox, he could adjust his hand at release and do something different with the ball. But that is a refined movement that knows what he's doing. And most of our guys are not there yet. So we take that approach of like, okay, yeah, the hand's late. He's running through it. It's not really sinking. It's more or less tailing. Well, the arm needs to be on time. So how do we address the arm being more on time with the rest of the delivery? And so it allows us to go back and fit the puzzle together in a different way. So then we get to retest and see like, okay, yeah, yeah. Now we're trending, right? So whatever you're doing, continue to do it. And so I'm sure there are analytics groups that are more like, Hey, you need to tell them to do this. It's like, yeah, okay. That's really difficult to do. But yeah. ours has been phenomenal in the communication of how do you think like in his delivery, is there something going on that like, if we adjust it would give him a chance to get the hand there. It's like, yeah, let's go look at it. We can get to the bottom of this. Yeah, absolutely. That reverse engineering is, is huge. And, and especially since the, the psychological part we, we've touched on is you're usually getting a kid that's never been hurt before, right? Or nobody's ever told him that he has a problem. And then you're coming out of nowhere and saying, well, you've been doing this wrong your whole life because, you know, one of the other things is, you know, when you, you're early in your career in high school, if you're the best, nobody's going to touch you. You know, you're like made of glass. So, you know, I think that's always something to do is the reverse engineering. It's great to hear when you get, you know, when you go through all that stuff, are you guys also too on board with the strength staff? Do you guys like directly correlate what's going on in the weight room and then what's going on with, with what you're doing and, and some of the teaching stuff? Yeah. So um, doing the rehab, I have our full-time PT down here out of the facility. And then the strength coach is kind of assigned to that group. We actually meet twice a week. Um, one time is to discuss like pre-activation uh exercises that I want to program prior to their plyo routines, which is before their catch play, or if they don't have catch play, we're going to do delivery work. So I want to make sure that it's building off of what they're doing in their PT time first thing in the morning, then their activation with the strength staff. 
Um, but through all of the measurements we're able to get the RSI stuff, the normal, like all those things that we can throw together and say, Hey, this guy doesn't produce a ton of force. And when he does produce it, he can't really do it fast and he can't slow it down very quickly. So I, we had, uh, we've got a kid right now coming back from a little shoulder deal. He's throwing and his front leg just lands so soft and his knee drifts forward. And then it locks out after release. Well, initially it's like, Hey, let's be firm into the front side, like stick that foot into the ground. So usually you can give something like Q external that'll clean all that up. Well, it didn't get better. It didn't get better. It didn't get better. So I went and checked with Logan and like, Hey, I got this problem. I know y'all are doing this in the weight room with him. Is there a way we can address this? Can you show me something that gives me more info on it? So come to find out he's second from the bottom in all of our categories that we measure out of the strength training department. It's like, well, he can't do what I'm asking him to do. So it doesn't matter how good I'm at presenting this. Mm-hmm. He's not able to do it yet. So that that's one of the areas where, the collaboration effort within our organization has taken leaps and bounds from what I remember having played here. So Katie, our PT, she formulates their, their physical therapy in the morning. Well, we know the workload from it so that Logan can program their gym time workload. And then I know that stuff. So if it's a throwing day, they'll back off so we can get our workload in throwing. If it's a non-throwing day, they can go harder. I can back off, do smaller sets of delivery type work. So it's, man, it's this constant interchange of like, hey, what are you guys doing tomorrow? What are you guys doing for the next three days with this person? It's a ton of work. Um, But as a player or an ex-player, like this is what I would have hoped had been going on. And so I feel like it's a responsibility, you know, to, to give these guys the best of my time because this is their career and not mine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I had and, my day. <laughs> and when you were there, we, we did, we never did that stuff. There was no, there was no volume. There was no, it was the same thing every day. And then it was, you know, just figured out. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I always hated how when we were there, we, we did the weight stuff around the day, which never, ever made any sense to me. It was all, oh, we're going to be there at seven 30 to eight 30. And then they'll play a scrimmage all day in a thousand degrees and then they'll all come in at four o'clock and it was, they have to get this many lifts in or else. And I'm like, what, what are we doing here? You know, I remember <laughs> the, the time I talk about it all the time we were on the road one time and I called and said, look, we went to Hudson Valley where I live from, from the city. And it was, there's a turf field there. Right. But where I, you know, upstate it's in the summer, it's nice and lovely. It's 105 degrees out in humidity, especially in the middle of the forest. And so we get up there, we drive straight from Brooklyn. The next day is when I, you know, you live second day. We go into the weight, we go into the, you know, I call and I say, hey, look, we have a day game, all right, the next day. So we, we got here at five o'clock, we play at seven, we got done at 12, we have a game at 1030. It's supposed to be 102 tomorrow. And then we leave the next day. And it was, have them lift after the game on Wednesday. And I was like, are you out of your mind? They're going to flip the bus over. It's 110 degrees outside. And, you know, we're still trying to, to push this thing. And then not to bash anything, but the story is for that. 
it's 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 been a short time because it was only what five years ago that these are the yeah. things that they're doing and i love to see the jets almost right after i left they they jumped into everything that i would have loved to kind of see but but that camaraderie is not there or it wasn't there there was no backing off still in college there's you know some places there isn't and i think that that's a huge huge thing because it limits what you're doing right as a strength coach and i think that's another thing too you know we i speak about ego too as a strength coach, it's your job to get what the pitching coach and the hitting coach want out of the athlete. And we talk about the strength, right? We always talk about my job is you'll hear it. Get guys stronger, get guys stronger, get guys stronger. Well, if you have a guy who's already strong, that's not going to fix his pitching mechanics. But on the turn side, like a person you were talking about now, if so-and-so can't get their, you know, their leg locked out at toe off and their arms lagging because they're not strong enough when they push off. Now that's an integrated area where we need to use that. So I think it's, we have to get away from the, the power strength, blah, blah, blah. That's an off season, right? That's not what we do. We just don't get people strong. We get them strong. And then we kind of manipulate what we did based on what the coach wants. And I think that's something that's still kind of being fought with. It's not what you want. It's what makes them or gets the players to be the best they can be with yeah. the skills and the coaches. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. No, you're spot on. Uh, so when, you know, when you go through, uh, you know, you talked about the blocks, do you include um, lifting stuff or uh, do you just, you do like the range of motion stuff and, and create it in the blocks and then you kind of merge it together with the, with the strength coach. So uh the PT is more of like their daily activation type deals start off. So if they've got like uh, shoulder cars or because um, functional range conditioning is a big deal with mm -hmm. us now, as far as getting our guys through that stuff, because we're measuring all their internal external rotations and joints mobility. How do we get it better and actually make it stronger? So um, those things partner together, then there will be a build off of it <clears throat> as we go into the strength uh, portion of their morning, whether they're going to lift after a throw or they don't have throwing the lift today. There's, it's a constant, like, I don't know. It just, it just flows. Like we know every single day, like, Hey, this guy is going to make 50 throws today. Well, are they plyo throws or are they baseball throws? Well, half are plyo, the other are going to be baseball. Okay. Well, we can actually do a little more in the gym. Well, if they were all 50 normal baseball throws, like they would probably back off on some of the early stuff and allow him to come in the next morning where we know he's not going to be on the field throwing to actually get in a better lift per se. Um, they're allowing us to tailor like, Hey, I got this guy that I think could benefit getting three lifts a week. Um, how do we fit his schedule to do that? Well, we'll pull him out of a game once a week. That's easy. Wow. Because we're in the, well, we're down here and it's, yeah. we have the time for these guys to do that. Mm -hmm. um, because there's not a rush to get them ready for short season. There's not a rush to get them to rookie ball. Like we have GCL, but I mean, we're playing like outside competition twice a week right now. So our games are usually like three, four innings based on who needed to throw innings that day. Um, so the workloads are a lot lower, but yeah, overall, man, it, it just, there's the consideration of what the player's doing at all the other places throughout their day. And certainly we want it to ultimately be that they're better on the baseball field um, mm -hmm. and not just better at doing shoulder cars or better at 
squatting, like those things benefit our goal is to be their performance on the field. And that's where I'm super thankful are the two people that I work closest with out of organization have done a phenomenal job in preparing the guys daily to do the baseball portion. Mm-hmm. And we've seen their development actually get better. We've implemented things prior to picking up baseballs, dry reps. Uh, I'll use the sleeve a lot in pre-patterning new arm movements. So there's all this stuff that we're able to do and really allow for the player every time he's expected to perform at a higher level, whether it be in a gym or throwing, like he's recovered, he's ready to do it. Uh, Which I think there's really no excuse to not to be able to do that. Absolutely. With all the stuff we have, the guys should be required. I want to talk about the little injury, the riddled season we've been having uh, in general after this, because I think it's insane. Um, But I just want to ask, so when a guy leaves you, right, and they go up, how do you, uh, how do you keep that schedule on online with what they're doing? Is it just, you know, just a tree and, and everything is up there? How do you make sure, especially when they're playing, that they're able to kind of keep, you know, the same things going and make sure they have the same time uh, for the things they were doing when they were with you? Yeah, so the, the goal throughout the organization is every affiliate has all of the tools, uh, implements, whatever I may use here or we use at the facility here in Bradenton, every affiliate has access to that. Um, we set our pitchers up, at least on spring training, on three-day routines. So day one would be either a bullpen or a game. That's their high-intensity day. Day two, recovery. We wanted them to stay parasympathetic as long as possible. So we avoided any sort of dynamic activation. We basically did eccentric bands, at least the baseball portion. They had their weight room work. And then we would put them through if they wanted light plyos or light catch. And that was it. Like we didn't go do a heavy conditioning session, um, at least sprint wise, oftentimes more sled pullish type deals. Um, And then day three would be our work day, which is the day before then they'd go and get on the mound again, which allows us to, hey, Last bullpen and the few before you've executed really well, but the back leg is like shaking like a body blade, like your load leg. It's just not stable. So today we're hitting on that, like save 25 throws after your catch play. Don't use them out there. Come over here. We're going to go through some implements. We're going to step into sand. We're going to step off an air X. We're going to drop off the mound and step and throw. We're just doing all sorts of implementations to try to teach the body to funnel down into its most efficient way to get that leg to stay sturdy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of our process there with those guys. But as far as when guys leave the rehab area, we take a ton of notes, their process, they all have books that we've given them to write down cues that maybe clicked one day, whatever they do with their routine. I take note of their routine every day, whether it changes, whether we add to it, change weight of a ball, whatever it may be. Um, and then that gets passed along to the affiliate as they're going back to where they're supposed to be. Um, and ultimately then at that point it is their career and their professionals and you take responsibility because you've been shown what you need to do. You've been through it constantly for Tommy John, 14 months. If it's PRP eight months, like you have the time put in doing this stuff. So at that point, we just kind of, Hey, go do it. Yeah, like and I'll be here if you need me. Absolutely, and I, I think it's 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 interesting and it's a a good point and, and something that I think we'll see more of because you tailor everything in your programming towards what they need and you're constantly getting feedback and analyzing. You can take a day on their third bullpen of the month and you can do stuff 
to help with different things because you're not losing anything because all throughout the day and the week they're working or you're working as a group to get them doing the same thing. So now you can say, okay, hey, everything's great, but your push-off's not as bad. So you can do the drills you talked about. And I think that is kind of the missing point that we need. It's not if you don't run today or whatever, the world's going to end. It's everything that you're doing is, is impacting or centered towards making you the best pitcher or player you can be. So on other days, we can work on things that will help you in the future that are a little bit off the box because we don't need to have you throw a 40 pitch bullpen today of just change ups and fastballs because we're already working towards that. So if I take you off the mound and work on push off, you've already gotten work with that anyway. And we didn't go backwards. So I think that's very uh, interesting. And, and I, I, like I said, I love that direction because now it allows you to work off the cusp and, and we're not, you know, stuck, but also everything you're doing is helping the players. Yeah. Well, and it's not monotonous to the player either, which Absolutely. holy fart oh, that gets God. old. Oh my God. Monotony <laughs> is the worst 17 inning games and inner squads yeah. and the trips to Jupiter. That's probably why I don't like Jupiter. It's not because it's not beautiful, but I'm like, we have to go here again. Every time you drove down the highway, we saw that tree farm to the left with the skinny trees. And I'm like, Oh good. We're halfway there. This is going to be. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's so yeah. great. If anybody gets out, yeah, go get out in the minor leagues. If you want to be in baseball, go go spend it a year in minor leagues and then come back and, and then you can kind of tell me if you out. really liked it or not. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's the I think it's the hardest thing. It's just that's for yeah. another another podcast. But uh, on a side note, what do you think, you know, of the injuries this year? In your opinion, why do you think so many guys are getting hurt? I have my my little thing, but why do you think you think it's the timing or just um, so typically on a normal year, if we have a guy in rookie ball the next year, we would probably, assuming he was healthy off season went well, we would up his innings by 25%, 20 to 25%. Um, problem is last year, and especially in minor league baseball, there was no workload. Like guys were estimated to get 112, 120 innings mm -hmm. that got, as best you could simulate through bullpens, maybe 35 innings, which are not the same type of innings. They just, the body is not responding the same way it does in a game. The wear and tear is not there. It just, it's a different deal. Um, you're fully aware of that. So I think coupling that with a, especially minor leagues, a full year's worth of off season training mm -hmm. where they just beat themselves down either that or they didn't do anything. And then they came back or tried to rush it coming into spring. Uh, we've been fortunate to avoid a ton of extra injuries, which is awesome. Our guys, yeah, you, for guys the most pretty, part, you guys are pretty healthy. Yeah. They took, they took care of business, but um, across I, man, I, it would have to be just decreased workload from last year and the ramp up this year. I, I really yeah. don't know. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100% because on the hitting side, I think it's that they've been standing in batting cages and swinging as hard as they can, and that's not an at-bat. Uh, and I think because you mean every other person on the thing has oblique and the hamstring, uh, you know, personally for with all the guys, I, I think that just happens. I mean, that's that's unpreparedness, right? If you don't do the glute stuff in the and you're not working in the lower back and, and kind of helping with the – you know, the, the core and being able to hold that stuff through that the hamstring will come. I think it's the same thing, but I think it's a lack of, especially what I saw is that 
They don't teach them oblique control, right? We do a lot of pile-off presses and planks sometimes, not everybody, but we don't teach them to hold the obliques against the hips at max velocity. And mm-hmm. so there that comes with that. And then to your point with those, the, the shortage of innings, I think the, the hitting guys, if you stand at a tee and you swing and swing and swing and swing, I, I think eventually that's going to go, but it's just unbelievable. I'm like, how are so many yeah. people? And then you have John Carlos Stanton that just gets hurt. Every time he's supposed to anybody out there listening, I'm sorry. I don't like him because the guy woke up and he got hurt last year. He played like seven games and then walked out of the dugout for the national anthem and was out for the rest of the season. I mean, I just think to me, that stuff is crazy. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what to, (laughs) and he's the biggest human being I've ever seen in person. So I don't really understand how he gets hurt, but you know, that's something, but, but back to what we're talking about. No, I, I think that integration and, and, and realizing, honestly, what happened, I think this is another reason of not the ramp up, but how can we combat the ramp up? Because it, a lot of stuff is just missed and it shouldn't be. OK, last year we played 60 games or in the minor leagues, none. Right. And then you sent a bunch of testosterone filled kids at 22 at home. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to they're going to work out. They're going to get as big as possible. And I think these are things that that should have been addressed, especially with the ramp up stuff. Right. If you, if you only got 30 innings last year, right, if you were in one of the alternate sites, thankful to, and you weren't at home, you maybe got some more innings, but you, you can't bring guys up and expect them to do the same, the same workload. And, and I think yeah. that's an interesting thing, but it's, it always seems to happen, right? I, I, I want to get your opinion on this, and, and I've always had an issue, the converting of outfielders to pitching, right? You talked about catching. They just monitor your velo, and then bang, you're, you're in a normal a normal throwing program. And then, you know, what happens? UCL, pretty much every guy I've ever seen that, but going back to that, what is something that, that you guys do? Cause I, you know, everything you're, you're doing is, is, you know, fantastic. When you convert a guy, what, what separates you? You think if you have a guy who's maybe a center fielder and now he's going to pitch, what's your approach into that? Well, there's no expectation for him to be competing in a game soon. Um, if we're going to do it as we see potential because the arm's really good and the guy can't hit and maybe his time spent at that position is gone, then we do. We actually digress where he was physically like conditioned for throwing because he's, he's never done it. Like the workload's not been there. Yeah. They make high strain throws, but maybe one a game, one, two a game, who knows? Um, And the, and the delivery is a loop, especially in the outfield. That's, that's always a missed part. The, uh, the big one. There's a li- yeah, there's a little bit. You start seeing guys though, like Judge and Betts and uh, those dudes, they throw more like the elite type throwers that we see on the mound, um, which goes to show why they have such great arms, in my opinion. But that is something we identify, like how does his arm move? We haven't had one this year nor last year. We took a guy from the Indians, converted shortstop, attempted they attempted the Indians did to like make him longer in the back so bigger swing with the ball because he's on the mound now well he's we didn't need to do that so we actually brought him back in to where he was basically throwing like a shortstop which is oftentimes something that pitching coaches will try to do with guys if we're trying to clean up a pattern problem is if they don't understand why you're doing it it doesn't work it sounds really cool like oh they'll throw their natural way. Like, nah, they probably won't. Cause their natural way has been doing this for 13 years. Like it may look worse. Um, but we, we allowed him to go back and he's 97 and 99 wow. big, strong kid from, uh, the Bahamas 
but uh, yeah, the position player transition is delicate. Like we want them to develop, we want them to get going, but we also have to realize that they do not, most of them hadn't taken their throwing program serious ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually do program writing for our position players now um, because they, man, we get video of them throwing. They don't hold the ball right. There's heads yanking out. There's long arms. There's cutting. Like it's a skill that's gone underappreciated in baseball, I think, because of the home run, because of the flashy stuff. And my opinion, it's easier to keep 10 players from advancing bases or scoring a run if you can make a good throw as opposed to expecting to hit 10 more home runs a year. And oftentimes those home runs come in games that might be blowouts and it didn't matter. Yeah. So, um, you know, we approach it that way when we're talking to position players, but when they, when they convert, it's, it's definitely a very uh, careful process. Um, we need to get going, but we also have to understand that there's a workload there that isn't the thresholds not or ever have been there. So yeah, being aware of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be, cause you know, when I, when I left, it was, Oh, you're going to pitch now. Go, go with the pitchers and start throwing. And I'm like, have a bullpen. Yeah. Here, yeah. See how they look off the mound. And I'm like, Oh Jesus, they're going to, you know, but that, that, like I said, it's a, it's another thing, but, but I'm happy it's, it's kind of moving in the right direction because you see it all the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, in college, actually, right. There's a kid at Oklahoma state. I think he does both. He throws off of the mound and then he plays, or no, he doesn't. Sorry. He just throws really hard. He's a shortstop. So he comes in for like three innings okay. and he throws the, throws the thing. No, no, there's not going to be another Otani. I, I love the idea, but I, I hope it doesn't become a thing because it's not easy to do at all. And it's no almost, in, it's almost in like you're missing. You have to take games off. You can't just, you have to hit and then you have to figure it out on the mound. I think if he yeah. did one or the other, I think he'd be a lot better, but I'm not with the angels. So well, I mean, side note, how do you feel if you're the uh, right fielder that gets pulled in the seventh inning so he can go take your position after pitching for six and a third? I, I mean, I, I, I feel for I that get, guy. Can I get released? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd be like, can I leave? Yeah. Hey, you're going to be the right fielder, so you play seven innings. And yeah. Then, and then you don't play on the other days. Yep. That's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> for, for anybody who wants to get involved, I'll do two, either coaching – right. Or, or teaching pitching mechanics or, and then I want to do one on advice for somebody starting off in baseball that, that wants to make it a career, just advice on, on both of those things. Yeah. So if uh, wanting to teach, wanting to begin to train, whether it's your own kid or you're a little league coach wanting to help out the neighborhood, like the biggest thing that I have noticed to be of value is understanding that one, each player is unique. Um, they do not hear the same thing when you say the same thing to all of them. So it's very important to make sense of what is being interpreted player by player. Uh, going into that, avoid as best you can internal cueing, especially at younger ages. So uh, the example for that would be if we're trying to get a guy to use his back leg more, 12-year-old, hey, drive more, like push harder. Um Oftentimes you'll get like, Hey, you really have to use your, your, your butt to push really hard. And like, as a 12 year old, I was like, well, how do I push with my butt? No. Like, I don't even know my butt does do that. You have, do you have ones that, cause I had this and I didn't, this is how I learned 
they they like bend their arms or they do things so that the muscle won't work because it feels weird. Because I used to have kids that on like band walks and things like that, they would bend their arms or they would shorten the levers on purpose so that they didn't feel anything. Yeah. And you can't yeah, do that. You, you can't. There's no. like it takes. I, I mean, it took me like a month. Like you can't see that. Well, what do you do? Oh, and then I found out. Oh, well, when I start to feel it burn, I, I bend my legs so the burning goes away. I give in. Yeah. Um, but those types of like the internal cues are, are tough for younger kids. They're really tough for our older players as well. Um, you have to be very precise in giving those. I wouldn't not use them completely, but as younger kids, external cues are great metaphors, those types of things. So like, if we're trying to create a more dynamic drive leg, lower half, the idea of pulling the ground apart between their feet is an external thought. And so by trying to do that, their body's going to figure out a way, like, how would I actually do that? Mm-hmm. And so they'll, they'll come to the solution because you've given them a task outside of themselves. So that's, that's the sub part to just understanding they're unique. Keep it simple. Um, anyone wanting to get involved in the professional side, um, as far as coaching goes, Baseball in itself now no longer requires a 10-year major league veteran to be a coach. Um, I think there's extreme value in having that, but a lot of those guys that played a long time don't actually know how to teach it very well. They just did it very well, Um, which is a testament to them because they didn't ever think. They just went and performed. Uh, It's a phenomenal ability. But if you have a desire to get into this proficiency within technology does matter. Unfortunately, whether you like it or not, you have to have a background and understanding of how we use the information we collect. Um, And then most organizations will give you the opportunity then and begin to teach you how to implement based on what information you're getting. Uh, They're not expecting you to be a big league caliber coach right off the bat. They just want to have an open mind and be, somewhat proficient in some of the more nuanced ideas within baseball. Um, so it, it, the spectrum changes quite drastically from little league to now, but, uh, even to this point, like keeping it simple, um, external cues playing with environments to produce outcomes rather than constantly giving feedback after each throw as to what they didn't do or what they needed to do more of. Yeah. Those are my, those are my hot tops. Yeah, great. And absolutely finding ways to get the kids to do things. That's why I also think it's you you should, if you want to coach, go go teach little kids. Cause if you can get a seven-year-old to do something, regardless of you're you're on the right track, right? Because mm-hmm. when you tell it to somebody that understands it, it becomes an easy thing. But I, I think that's also go teach little kids because you yeah. can say all you want, push with your glutes, they're gonna look at you like you're out of your mind and whatever and and i think yeah yeah what's a glued you know and then they're gonna and i also think it's important to to touch on what you said also um make it a point to make everything fun and and don't spend six hours explaining the same thing to a six-year-old they don't care they get about 20 seconds give or take and then it's bird and then they're gone so you know it's to make sure um so vic what's what's next for the uh for the the future um Man, I I love where I'm at. I love the opportunity I've been given here with Pittsburgh. Um, If they they would give me a 20-year contract, fixed rate, I would probably sign it. 
just because I enjoy this part of the development long-term. I don't want to be a big league pitching coach. Now mm-hmm. the pension would be phenomenal at some point. Cause those extra years I could use. Um, but yeah, man, I, I am content with spending time in the DR at our Academy with young players that are just learning how to show up on time to the young guys here to the rehab guys that I went through the process so many times of, I know what it looks like in the eyes to like, have hope like slowly fading on your career. Um, and then to be able to walk through that process with guys and, uh, I believe for hope back and see that change in their persona, the way they go about their day, because it's like, Oh, this is not the same. Oh, like I'm being shown that something can actually be better and come back better. Um, that I love more than anything, man. I, I like it more than I would have to say seeing a guy's eyes light up after an epiphany of like, I've been doing this this whole time and I had no idea is more fulfilling than striking out somebody in front of 40,000 people. Yep. I couldn't and that's how I know I'm in the right place. <laughs> yep. Watching other people succeed, especially on the field is, is fantastic. Yep. Uh, and like I said, happy that you're, you're doing well. And, you know, I, I see all the videos and all the stuff is, is fantastic in the conversation. Um, if anybody wants to reach you to get a hold of you, uh, ask you some questions about what we talked about, or, or maybe get some advice on to some of the things you talked about, where are the best places to reach you um, and get some info? The best and most immediate way to do it is uh, through email, armdocvic, V-I-C, at yahoo.com. That is also on my Instagram page, the armdoc. That's on Facebook. That's on Twitter, the armdoc on all of those. Um, my website's connected to that. So there's some inquiry stuff on there. As far as like programming goes, we have stuff for all seasons, off season, in season, VLO programs, deload programs, whatever you were looking for mechanical analysis. So those are the easiest ways to reach me. I think even one of them has my cell phone number. I won't tell you which one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just, but, get, just 700 text yeah, messages. But, after. but it's out there in the public domain. So, um, but yeah, it, it, I want to be accessible because I had someone take the time to show me what I now know, and I want to be able to do the same. So, Awesome. Uh, well, I will definitely, I'll put the Instagram heading uh, when I make the post, and I will put the email too, if I can, I'll, I'll maybe stick it in the bio. So if anybody wants to ask any questions and get some advice, uh, Vic, thanks, man, for coming on. It was, it was awesome catching up. Hopefully I get to come, come see you soon when this stupid thing's over. Uh, and then we can just, you know, catch up, hang out. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. This this was, like I said, a pleasure. Um, I do forget how much fun it is talking to people who I used to be around in baseball, <laughs> whether playing for them or working with them. Man, it just – this is a community that's a beautiful thing, and, and to get to catch back up with you has been awesome. So I'm very grateful for you asking me to be on. Oh, absolutely, and, and thank you for coming on, and I couldn't agree more. You know, love talking to people. The, the family and the networking and the community has been amazing. You know, everybody just talking about the stories and, and the things, because we've gone through it, but it's, it's like a small knit, you know, the baseball, the travel, nobody, I'm sorry, anybody out there, this, nobody's going through that, you know, unless, and especially when you're with them, you know, you and I, you know, that you're the coaches. And for me that the players become your, your family, you're with them all the time. Like there is no, you know, like I think that the only time you're not with a player in the minor leagues is from 530 to seven o'clock in the morning and you drive <laughs> there and then you have like staff meetings and then at seven o'clock it's boom and then you see them forever. Yep. All right, hold on. 